Welcome to this episode of the Terrier Talks podcast. I'm Kurt McPhail, the Executive Director of the Career Center at Walford College and one of the hosts for the Terrier Talks podcast. This podcast is a partnership between the Career Center and the Alumni Office at Walford College. Speaking of the Alumni Office, Dina, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks, Kurt. I am Dina Roberts, the Executive Director of Engagement and Annual Giving, and I'm excited to host this podcast as well. Before we jump into this episode, I just have to say so much has changed since these were first recorded. For example, we are recording this intro in separate places as we all deal with the global pandemic. We may mention the space in the podcast, but it's now officially the Career Center and the Office of Entrepreneurship and Innovation. Dina, that's correct. So much is different, but our goal is still the same, to provide an outlet to share the stories of the Wofford community. Former Chaplain Reverend Talmadge Skinner used to say that you don't just come to Wofford, you join Wofford. We're excited that you have joined us today. This episode includes an interview with Chris Vineyard, a 1992 graduate who will share what you can do with a history and sociology degree from Wofford. Welcome to the Terrier Talk podcast. I'm Kurt McPhail. And I'm Dina Roberts. And we're excited today to have Chris Vineyard uh, talking with us. Uh, Chris, you graduated in 1992. It's true. Um, and you majored in history and sociology. And the thing that uh, I'm automatically really excited to hear more about is the fact that you majored in history and sociology and currently uh, teach medical school. And it doesn't make sense, and I think that's the first thing to to say is that it's a perfectly illogical pathway. Um, but it makes sense in retrospect. I, I came to Wofford um, and started really getting interested in anthropology, and that wasn't available here. Like I think it's now sociology and anthropology. But at the time that there was one class in anthropology, and I took that as a freshman and decided that. That's really a direction that I'd like to pursue, and sociology was as close as as they had at the time, and history was something that I was always interested in done, and so those two were the most logical to me, and moved on from there into anthropology and eventually evolutionary biology, and as part of that was teaching anatomy, which became how to pay the bills, and so to speak. So did you have mentors along the way that helped you, you know, find this path? That right. Yeah, of course. I, I, mean, I, I can't really take credit for any of the good decisions. Somebody told me to do all of those things, right? It, at Wofford, it was Dr. Abercrombie, who's retired now, which uh, I'm sorry for all of you students listening. You get a chance to experience Dr. Abercrombie. That's a great experience. Um, Dr. Ferguson and then several history professors, Dr. Byard, who's gone, and Dr. Racine, who may still be here. Um. No, no. Um, And so they certainly helped uh, develop the the steps that would be most logical in terms of where you're at and where you wanted to go without having that step right here at Wofford. One of the things, Chris, that we talk with students about a lot and prospective students about a lot is that, you know, if you come to a place like Wofford that's a liberal arts school, your your major doesn't define you. Um, I'm curious throughout, you know, sort of your winding journey um, how'd you lean back on that liberal arts education? How did you, how did that inform, uh, your comfortability with making decising as you went forward? And, and I think the, there's a couple things that 
you can say one, and we were talking about this earlier, is that having been exposed to all the different parts of a liberal arts education, both in the classroom and then the experiences outside of that, should give you the confidence to be able to tackle any problem because you've been asked and challenged to do a lot of things that you're probably not familiar with. And maybe in a few cases, like for me, religious studies, I'm not very good at. Um, And so that uh, helps you to really gain some confidence coming out. You're starting something new, a new career path, a new study area to say, hey, I've done these kinds of things before. I can succeed in this. I've got some track record in how to do this and I know how to ask questions and I know who to find to help talk to about solving some of these problems. So I think that it's not the book smarts or the book learning there, but the experiential learning that can really help you in a lot of situations. So you are currently a professor in the Department of Anatomy and Neurobiology at Northeast Ohio Medical University. Um, teaching human anatomy, but also studying feeding and primates. So talk about the relationship between those two. So one pays the bills, and one is what I like to do. Uh, <laughs> so th- the reality is is that there's a number of biologists that work in medical education, and they have these sort of dual roles where they have a certain amount of their time is spent teaching. And I spend my fall semester, for the most part, teaching anatomy to medical students, first-year medical students, and then the remaining time is largely dedicated to research. And the research topics are generally quite variable throughout most medical schools. A lot of them are basic biomedical sciences, run national institutes of health, but then there are these handful of more um, general biology researchers, someone like me that studies feeding in primates. We also study feeding in humans, which has a much more direct apply application to uh, human health concerns. And then we do some work for National Institutes of Health, too, that generally doesn't work on monkeys. Tell us about the monkeys. So monkeys are terrible animals. (laughs) uh, Monkeys are... So if you're interested in how something is built, for instance... Human health concerns related with chewing and feeding are temporomandibular joint disorders, a multi-billion dollar disorder a, a year. It's probably one of the most common. There's someone listening now that's like, yeah, I, my jaw hurts when I chew. So if you want to understand what are the causes underlying that, you have to understand how chewing occurs physiologically. What are the mechanics of that? You can study humans to try and do that. But the reality is, is if you look at more variation in forms, say across all primates and all the jaw forms, and more variation in diet and behavior, you can get a better understanding of the general principles that drive those relationships. So by stepping back and looking more broadly, I can get a better understanding of how I might interpret some of the factors that might impact humans or any other primates. And so what I try and do is bring animals into the lab and study the physiology, how the muscles work, how the bones are deformed when you chew and bite, and then say, well, how good did I model the real system? And then go out and watch them chew their own food and their own diets and try and say, okay, this is where we went wrong. This isn't really realistic. This isn't something that's probably uh, an important factor in selection for jaw form and how 
behaviors or how they're using behaviors to consume different foods. So it's this mutually reinforcing system of morphology, physiology, and behavior that you try to put together. And with an improved understanding that we can, I'm not directly working on temporomandibular joint disorder, but I can tell the people that are, it's like, that's probably not an area that you want to spend much time with because it doesn't look like that matters much. So, Chris, you had some interesting opportunities while you were at Wofford to interact with animals, um, with, with some of the folks you mentioned, Dr. Abercrombie and Dr. Ferguson. Talk about, you know, whether it's your favorite interim or favorite class, but talk about how that, you, you know, it's interesting as you look back, you're working with monkeys now, and, and I know you spent some time with crocodiles while you were at, at, at Wofford. I'm interesting about the pa- interested about the pathways uh, and the connections there. Uh, to pick one out of all of the ones we did, uh, it's hard. I mean, I got to work, I think it was over the f- my freshman year over, it wasn't interim, but it was over a Christmas break that I went to Jamaica and tagged crocodiles for several nights with Abercrombie. And, and that was great. And I have pictures of me holding crocodiles, which my parents thought that was a great college investment. <laughs> um, and then as, so that was just, I was big enough to grab them. That's really the only criteria I needed. And I wanted to go. And so that, you know, that's all it took. And as it went further on by the last year, I was doing my own stuff on interim in Florida, tracking fox squirrels for the uh, wildlife department and a graduate student there. And me and another student were, we were basically on our own doing that work. And it, it was much more intellectually invested but that was the progression that had happened over the time and that was that was in retrospect probably the way it should work um, but it was a lot of fun um you balanced a lot of academic work um you were also a student athlete Mm -hmm. at wofford um talk about how the balancing of both being an athlete on campus with practice and schedules and having labs and stuff like that. Talk about how that was as a, as yeah. a student. Yeah, I think the, in retrospect, the athletics was a great benefit for the academics because you, your day was fully set and you came home, you studied and you went to bed because you had to get up at seven to go to breakfast check. And so all of those extracurricular activities that can claim all your time, just they weren't available. So it was like having a mother right there on campus. <laughs> and that it, it took away all of the, the lures that are out there from studying. And by the time it got to the second semester, you're sort of set in your schedule. And it's like, you know, this is how it worked last time. Why veer from that? And it made... The, it took away the opportunities and put rigor there that in many ways I think were help make academic success possible. So I was lucky because that wasn't the plan. <laughs> <laughs> you joke that you know teaching is what pays the bills, but you've been recognized as teacher of the year. Um, what, what would your students say about you? And I think the, the, the reason, there are two reasons, and one isn't entirely 
teaching related. They like me because I play basketball with them <laughs> and I play sports with them. And that's one of the great things of medical school. Having a medical only school is there's no one population of undergrads that are athletics. These kids all chose to go to medical school out of high school. So if they wanted to play college athletics, they didn't go to our school. So that made it possible for old people like me to still compete with young people. Um, they're just medical students. And the other reason is just investing the time. So it's like anything. If you invest time in something, that people appreciate that. So I'm certainly not a content expert in some of the things they want to know. And they ask me about histology. I can't see the colors. Um, and it's, it's really about providing care, care, caring and uh, interactive experiences. And it sounds like there's a real correlation, Chris, between, you know, you tell the story of being, you know, Christmas break of your freshman year, going with a professor to tag crocodiles um, and having that connection with your students. Now, my guess is the your relationships with faculty here served as an example for, of course, for yeah. how you do yeah. that. So I think there are lots of ways to succeed in teaching and when I was first in medical school, I would tell people, so just call me Chris, because you know, Dr. Vineyard is someone else. My mother called me Chris. I like my mom. That's the name I want to be called by. And the dean came and said, don't do that. You can't do that. You need to be Dr. Vineyard. And I'm like, all right, I, I'm not going to fight this battle. But the reality is, is you can have relationships that work well as a standoff hierarchical teaching relationship, or you can be a mentor that's more like an uncle or an older brother. And I do better in those latter situations. And I, I think that that certainly happened at Wofford. And I'm sure it happens at other places too. It's more likely in smaller situations. And that's a big benefit of the smaller liberal arts college atmosphere. And it works for me, and it works both here as a student, and I, hopefully it works for those students too. When you think about your time at Wofford, what one or two things stand out as your favorite Wofford memories? That's a good one. Um, there's a lot. It's hard, it's hard to to sort of articulate all of that. I think working in the Yucatan with uh, a group of faculty being out all night capturing crocodiles and then having all day to explore and being able to do that as a 19-year-old was a great experience. And, and I drove Dr. Ferguson's truck from Spartanburg to uh, the Yucatan Peninsula while Abercrombie flew his plane every day. I would drive for 10 hours. He would fly for an hour and we would meet at the end of every day. So I think I got the raw end of the deal. Um, and then I think just the graduation weekend was a lot of fun. Everybody going out into the fountain and uh, all of the, the things that go along with that. Which we do not condone, by the way. <laughs> but you should still do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. Um, Chris, you work a lot with um, medical school students who, based on the structure at Northeastern Ohio, are um, just out of high school um, and those kinds of things because they matriculate right there. As you work with students and as we work at Wofford to continue to prepare students for whatever they decide to do, after Wofford, 
What are some things that you think are critically important to student success, whether it's grad school, whether it's med school, whether it's straight into work or, or gap year stuff? I'd be interested to think about, I mean, as you interact with students a lot, what do you consider to be you know, really, really important things that folks should take into and consideration? I think that's fair. I mean, the, the, the contrast of the undergraduate experience for our students in medical school who will and sometimes spend two years, they do nothing but class. There, there's really no uh, experiential extracurricular things like you would have at a four-year liberal arts college. So they succeed in that because they're sort of set up to be driven, but there's quite a bit of burnout. Whereas in a four-year system, particularly one like Wofford, you have these opportunities to spend those years really developing yourself in some ways. And so I think one of the things I would say is be honest. Be honest with yourself about what you want to do, what you think you can do, what other people tell you you can do, and take those uh, four years or however many years you have left to really build some of those metacurricular things, um, whether it be research or service or athletics or leadership. There's a lot of opportunities here that you can develop other aspects than grades. Then the other part of that is you have to succeed in your grades too. You want to graduate um, and you want to do well that way because placement matters for test, testing matters for placement. But I don't think that's the only thing that will help you succeed in life. And often a lot of the stuff that you do on tests 20 years from now won't be as important as a leadership skill or an experience you had in, in one of those settings. Um, and that's difficult because the thing that gets you through the door is your tests and your scores. But the things that help you succeed once you're in the door often aren't all about knowledge. It's about experience and wisdom, too. So you seem like a pretty busy guy, but uh, what do you do for fun? What, what creates work-life balance? <laughs> <laughs> um, my, yeah, that's fair. Uh, well, I still like sports. I don't get to do those as much, but um, my wife and daughter ride horses, so I'm in charge of building all of that stuff and hauling them all around. It's a terrible job. I hate horses, <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I get to do because I love them. Uh, I would encourage them to trade in their horses for ducks. That would be so much <laughs> easier and better for me, but so far, no luck. Um, and then I think... One of the things that I've learned over time, and we certainly push this with our medical students, is find things they like to do. I'm not really a good drawer or an artist, but I like doing it, so I do some of that. I take pictures, things like that. And you, you, when you're young, you're like, I have to be the best at everything. And you realize as you get older, it's like, I have to like some of these things. And that's been a transition that's it's been helpful, I think. And Oh, yeah, I can go and I have to be at this horse show, but I can take pictures of the horses and that makes it a little better for me. So, Looking back um, on your Wofford time, Chris, I'm curious if, is there anything that you know now that you wish you had known in that time you were here as a student um, as you sort of look back on things? 
Yeah, I think the, I mean, that's probably for all of us, we could say, I wish I had done some things different. I, I mean, academically, I wish I had taken more math because that would make a huge difference in the job I do now. So take some math. Don't, don't be afraid of math. And when, after you've taken a little bit, take some more math, um, particularly if you're in sciences. So I think academically, I would have looked in that direction more. Um, otherwise, I think take advantage of the experiences that are there, the Xbox and Nintendo and that kind of stuff probably is going to be there after you're out of college, but a number of the other experiences won't be. And there'll be plenty of time for those later when you're up at night and your kids screaming and things like that. So look for the opportunities and take advantage of listen, hear what other people are saying, think about new ideas, use the college experience for that time. Have fun too. Chris, I really appreciate your time and willingness to sit down and no, talk with us pleasure. today. Yeah. And uh, uh, I'm excited we've, we've connected and I know it'll benefit not only students now, but, mm-hmm. but to come to with, sure. with the relationship. So. And I'm sure they can get contact information. If you have any questions or anything, just send me an email. Sounds great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank y'all. Thanks so much for joining us. And we hope you'll continue to listen and share this podcast with all of your Wofford connections. If you know a member of the Wofford community whose story should be told, please reach out to us. You can do that at alumni at wofford.edu and career center at wofford.edu. There are some people who we'd like to thank uh, who helped make this possible. First, student interns Katie Husselby and Naya Lutz were critical in getting this podcast started and recorded. We also want to thank Creative by Design for auto editing and enhancing.